This morning we're going to be reading out of Luke chapter 9, verse 18. And it says, Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, in the midst of just all the darkness around us, Lord, I just pray that your people would be steadfast and that they would be unashamedly in love with you. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just help this church be a church that when people come and look in, they see Jesus. And I just pray, Father, that you would just ruin us for anything other than your purposes. Holy Spirit, come and transform us through this message today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can take a seat. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. Welcome. If you're new, welcome. Uh, if you're not new, welcome back. We're glad you're with us this morning. Um, last Sunday, if you missed it, we celebrated one year as a new church, our first birthday as a church. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a lot of fun, yeah. You don't have to clap. You can if you want. But we rejoiced. We did. We rejoiced. We clapped a lot last Sunday, so we got all of it out last Sunday maybe, but uh, we rejoiced at all that God has done for Phoenix Bible, through Phoenix Bible in this last year. And there was too many stories to share. Like we went too long because we couldn't share all the stories. Even this morning, um, our facilities manager who lets us in and out of this building every Sunday and who does so sometimes on Saturday, sometimes during the week if we have special Events. I was talking to her, and she's been coming to our church. She's been staying for our church and putting our kids, her kids, in our kids' ministry. And a f- several uh, months ago, we gave her a Bible, and we gave her kids' Bibles. And this morning, she grabbed me, and she was so excited, and she just said, Hey, Pastor Tim, I'm reading the Bible. And she said, I've never done that before. And, uh, but it's amazing. I'm learning so much. And she's meeting with a girl in our church on a weekly basis reading through scripture. Isn't that amazing? That we exist as a church to love Jesus, to live like Jesus, to lead other people to Jesus, and that's happening, and there's much to rejoice. But there's also much to anticipate, and we talked about that we want to see a culture over the next year that we're going to theme this up, we're going to focus on this heavily, this next year, this is where we're going, that we want to see a love that moves. 
And we won't rehash all of that this morning, but uh, you can go online, you can listen to the podcast in iTunes, just search Phoenix Bible Church. You can go on our website and click sermons and, and listen to that to see what we anticipate God doing over this next year. So we encourage you to do that. And then last, the last two days, uh, my wife and I got to go to a pastor's retreat and um, we pour out a lot as, as pastors and, and I love what I get to do. I do. I don't just love being a pastor. I love being your pastor. But from time to time, we need to get away and get encouraged and get poured into because ministry is is hard, right? Ministry can be difficult. Church planning specifically can be difficult. So we got to go to this pastor's retreat these last two days and get around some guys who are doing exactly what we're doing. They're in the same stage of church planning. Some of them just started in September. And so we got to talk. And then some of them have been doing this for 30 years. And so we got to talk. And it was just a good time to step back at the end of our first year and get some perspective, see the bigger picture. And as we did that, it was kind of funny, interactions throughout the two days. I would talk to different people, and, and they had heard some of our story or seen our, our video from our first year. And they would come up, and they would put their arm on my shoulder, and they would just say, man, we're praying for you guys. And not just a simple, like, hey, we're praying for you. It was like, dude, we are praying for you guys. I mean, goodness. And just knowing how we started and knowing we're downtown in the heart of Phoenix, and there's not a lot of churches doing that. Uh, And they knew that we were on the front lines of ministry planting a church and that this is a risky, crazy, impossible adventure, but we have stepped out in faith and seen God move. And they would say, "We're, we're praying for you guys. And we're rooting you guys on. And so you may not even realize that, that you're a part of something crazy, impossible, a miraculous work of God. And as I get poured into, you get poured into, and we're on this journey together. And we're excited for what's to come in our second year. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to continue in the series, Encounters with Jesus, we're going to be looking at Luke 9, 18 through 27. Grab a Bible if you don't already have one out. You can look on the screen as well. Um, we're going to focus on Jesus and the disciples. And as we set this up, we can really sum up what Jesus says in this passage with three things. If we just summarize it, Jesus basically says this. He says, I am the Christ who must suffer. Come follow me. I'm the Christ who must suffer. Come follow me. Me. And we're going to unpack what that means. Look at the verse, verse 18 in Luke chapter 9. It says, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. So set up the context. Jesus is coming off a a huge miracle that even if you're new to this Jesus thing or new to church, you've probably heard of this miracle where Jesus feeds the 5,000. That's what just happened. And so we come to a moment of truth after this amazing miracle. This isn't the first time the disciples have experienced this. They've seen miracles. They've had a a front row seat. They're riding a wave of Jesus' ministry. And then they come to this moment of truth where he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, the Christ. This is the first time that this is confessed directly by the disciples. Uh, they knew this guy was different. 
They knew he was worthy to follow, but this is the first time where they realize Jesus is the Christ. That's not just Jesus' last name, but his title, right? It's a significant title that he's the chosen one, the one who could deliver God's people and establish a new kingdom. And Peter acknowledges, Jesus, this is who you are. It's their moment of truth, which always makes me think of the band Survivor from the 80s for some reason and the Karate Kid soundtrack. Look that up. This is their moment of truth, right? So maybe some of you are are new to church and you're checking out God and maybe you have some questions. And listen, we're glad that you're here. We want to go on that journey with you. But you need to know that at some point, Jesus is going to bring you to a moment of truth where he asks you, who do you say that I am? Some of you are not new to church. You've been around the church your whole life, and you come and you do the Sunday thing, you do the Bible study thing during the week, and you're going through the motions, and if you're honest, you're just playing the game. You know the right words to say. You have the T-shirt. You have the bumper sticker. And you're just playing the game, and you need to know, if that's you, that at some point Jesus is going to bring you to a moment of truth where he asks you, who do you say that I am? Not who do other people say that I am. Who do you say in the quiet of your heart when nobody else is around? Do you believe that I'm the Christ, the Son of God, coming to rule and to reign? Who do you say that I am? That comes for the disciples. That comes for us because at some point you have to decide. That Jesus, if you know about his life, about his death, about his resurrection, that he can't just be a good teacher that he can't just be a public servant, that he's not just an intriguing historical figure for you to check out and read up on. No, that Jesus claimed to be God. So he's either a liar, he's either a lunatic, or he's Lord. And you have to come to that decision. And that's what we see Peter come to in this passage, that he says, I'm committed to this truth that Jesus is the Christ. And he goes on to give his life in service to Jesus, and so do the rest of the disciples. And it's at this point you begin to see this break. You begin to see that there's crowd and there's committed. So as Jesus goes on to teach and do ministry, you see two different groups of people primarily. You see the crowd and the committed. You see sometimes Jesus addresses the crowd, and then other times he addresses the committed, his disciples, his followers. Notice even in this passage there's a difference between the crowd and the committed. Right? How do the crowds view Jesus? They say maybe he was John the Baptist, maybe he was Elijah. These are prophets from the Old and the New Testament. The crowd say maybe he was just another one of those guys. But the disciples that committed, his followers, say he is the Christ. There's a difference between the crowd and the committed, and there is today. So as you come to this moment of truth in your life, as you come to this moment of decision, you have to start there. Who do you say that Jesus is? Are you going to be crowd? Or are you going to be committed? Is Jesus going to be a hobby that you dabble in and out of when it's convenient? Is Jesus going to be a tool that you use for a platform, for influence, to come off with an appearance of holiness and status and stability? Like, I go to church, I believe in Jesus, yeah, I know the language, Is Jesus going to be a hobby? Is he going to be a tool? Or is he God in the flesh, worthy of your whole life 
in all of your worship? Are you going to be crowd or committed? That's where we have to start when we think about following Jesus. I'd hope by God's grace you get to that point today, that you don't wait, that you decide this morning. And then we see that he's not only the Christ, but he must suffer. Look at verse 21. It says, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. You see in this passage another title for Jesus, the Son of Man. Uh, this title, Son of Man, is also significant. It represents not just Jesus' divinity, but also his humanity, that Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man, that he's the exalted king the king of kings, the lord of lords, but he's also the suffering servant. Do you see it? That Jesus is the son of man. It's an important title that Jesus refers to himself often in the gospels. This is Jesus, and in these verses, he explains what's in store for him as the Christ, as the son of man. He says, I must suffer, be rejected, and die. That he'll rise on the third day, but before that, he has to endure suffering. And so you have to put your disciples, you have to put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Right? These are guys that knew some of the Old Testament. That was their Bible. And they knew there was a guy who was prophesied about that would come, the coming king that would set up and, and establish his kingdom. And they're thinking that guy is going to come in, march in, destroy their enemies, take political power, reduce their taxes, that this is the one they've been waiting for, that he's here with them. And they've just proclaimed that, they've just declared that, that he is that guy. He is the Christ. And then Jesus flips it and says, yeah, that's who I am. But I'm not going to do all that, at least not yet. That first I have to suffer and die. Matthew 16, the parallel passage to this passage Peter rebukes Jesus for saying this, which is an interesting thing to do, to rebuke Jesus. Peter gave it a shot, right? Matthew 16, he says, never, Jesus, never. You're not going to do this. We're not going to let this happen. But Jesus says, I'm a different kind of king. So they needed to ask, and we need to ask, why does Jesus have to suffer? Two reasons primarily. There's a problem, and there's a payment. There's a problem. There was then, there is now. That problem is sin. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. That sin, any sin, small or big, separates us from God for eternity. The wages for that is death. And so we need a payment for that sin. And that payment isn't just the good things we do. It's not the law. It's not following those things. The payment that was required was the perfect son of God sacrificed on our behalf, in our place, for our sin. That he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we may become the righteousness of God in him. There's a problem and there's a payment and Jesus had to suffer as the righteous son of God. He had to suffer. He's a different kind of king. He suffers and he serves. And just so you know, this is what separates Christianity from every other faith. Some people will say we'll always kind of lead to God as long as we just love people and love, love our form of God, that it all works out in the end. And, and you need to know that's, that's false, right? That it's not just option one, the, 
brutal death and killing of the perfect son of God on your behalf, in your place, for your sin. Or one of these other paths, right? That doesn't even make sense, right? That it can only be one or the other. That Jesus isn't just, Jesus isn't just one of many paths. He is the path. He's not just a man. He's the son of man. He's not just one of many gods. He's the one true God. And he must suffer and die. He's the Christ. And he must suffer and die before he rises again and rules and reigns. And the last thing he says is, follow me. Verse 23, look at the verse. It says, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So as you look at those verses, 23 through 26 specifically, you see words like deny and lose. You also see this word follow, that there's sacrifice and surrender associated with following Jesus, that you can write this down if you're taking notes, that everybody follows somebody. Everybody follows somebody. And who you follow sets the direction of your life. Everybody follows somebody, and who you follow sets the direction of your life. So some of us in our society today, we follow a public figure. We put our hope in a politician. And if we just look functionally at our lives, we follow those people. Their values become our values. Some of us do this with our family or friends. We elevate them to a point where we actually follow them. They supersede, they're the focal point of our life. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's somebody in your family, maybe it's a friend, and it's just gotten unhealthy where you, if you're honest, you say, I'm kind of following them. Their advice completely over and above everything else. Their values, their morals completely, the way and the lens through which they see all of life, that I'm following them. Who you follow sets the course and direction of your life. So some of us do that. We follow other people, but I think a lot of us, we follow ourselves, right? That when it comes down to it, we, we want to follow ourselves. Maybe in different seasons of our life, we do that. I remember when I was in Austin, uh, I was counseling a couple that was going through a tough time in their marriage, and they were talking about divorce. And I met with a guy a lot. We met for several hours, for several months. And as we would meet, we would walk through scripture. He was a believer. And we would talk through, like, how you stay committed in this relationship, how you made a covenant with your wife, for better or worse, and that you do that, as you do that, you model Jesus, that he initiated with you, that he pursued you, even when you ran, even when you were indifferent, even when you rebelled, that you do that. And that's what you do in marriage, in case you didn't know. And so we walked through that for several months, and over those several months, he met another girl. And he said, you know, there's not as much baggage over here. She accepts me for who I am. That this would be a little bit easier just to go over here with this girl. And they proceeded, and they got a divorce. And it was really sad. 
And at the end of the day, what he was saying and what he did say is that this is what works best for me. That at the end of the day, I'm going to follow myself. Like, I'm going to do what I want to do. I know scripture says this. I know God says this. But I'm going to go this way. And that we do that. Maybe not in extreme ways like that, but we do that. We follow ourselves. And who we follow sets the course of our whole life. And Jesus is challenging us. He's superseding all of that, that we follow him, and he sets the direction over and above anybody else in our lives. You see, for some of us, if we're honest, in different seasons of our life, it's always Jesus and. Right? It's always Jesus and, like Jesus and my life. Jesus and my relationships. Jesus and my finances. Jesus and my dreams, my desires, my aspirations, my career. Jesus and those things. And the reality is what Jesus is saying is, I didn't come to be an addition to your life. I came to be your life. You see the difference? Jesus is calling you to a radical obedience where you give your whole self to him. You follow him. That he's the Christ, he must suffer, and we follow him. He came to be our life. And so that's why you see in verses 24 and 25, when you lose yourself, you actually gain yourself, right? Because you gain Jesus. That's why when you gain the whole world, you can still lose if you miss Jesus. Verse 25. That Jesus is calling the disciples and us who follow him to lay down our lives for his glory. The glory he refers to in verse 27. We're not going to dive too deep into this. But he says some will taste the kingdom of God before they die. What he's talking about is what we see in the next passage. You can read it on your own. It's called the transfiguration that Jesus appears and he shows some of his glorified state, that they've seen his humanity, they get to see a taste of his divinity and the kingdom that's going to come. Peter, James, and John get to see that in the next passage. And what Jesus is saying is, you follow me, I'm fully man, I'm fully God, and you give your whole self, your whole life to that. You follow me. And so what does that look like? We see in this passage, we need to come to a place today where we have a moment of truth. What does it mean to follow Jesus? You have to come to a moment of truth where we decide, are we crowd or are we committed? That we make that decision. By God's grace, I hope you make that decision today. Where we not just believe, but follow. Listen, the question isn't just whether you believe. It's what are you going to do about it? What does that change in your life? So as you think about this idea, as you see the disciples following Jesus, you want to think about what am I going to do about it? And then along the way, that you would trade what you know for what you know is better. And you would do that daily. You would take up your cross daily to follow him. And I think this is the most difficult part. What do you need to leave behind? What is keeping you from truly following Jesus? Some of us, if we're honest, will say, I love Jesus, but I'm going to do so at a healthy distance. I love Jesus, but I'm going to go over here and keep these things that are really important, these things I don't want Jesus to touch. I'm going to keep these things. Oh, but I love Jesus. I believe in him over here at a safe distance. But when you start talking about my money, my political persuasions, how I treat my spouse, how I spend my spare time, I, I, lo I love you, Jesus, but don't get in the midst of all that because that could get messy. And some of us, if we're honest, we say that we keep 
Jesus at a distance. And there's things we're holding on to that we're unwilling to deny so that we can follow Jesus. So what are those things for you? What is immovable in your life? What are those things you're holding on to and you said, man, if Jesus asked me to give this up or to change this about me or to change this about my life, I'm not sure I even want to go there. I'm not sure I would be willing to do that. What are those things for you? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a relationship that you know is unhealthy, that doesn't edify you, doesn't edify the other person, isn't glorifying to God. And you think, if I really address that with God, that he would ask me to hop out of that relationship. But I'm not going to go there. I'm going to hold on to that. I'm not going to give Jesus any of that. Maybe it's your sexuality. Maybe you're going through life and you just say, I, I do what I want. It just feels right. And I'm not going to let Jesus into that arena of my life. Maybe it's your relationships, maybe it's your sexuality, maybe it's something else. But I would suggest to you this morning that whatever that is, maybe it's a few of those things, that the deep-rooted part of your heart, it's that you get to decide. Does that make sense? That you get to decide what that is. That this idea of giving your complete self to Jesus, no, we get to decide. We get to put Jesus in a box over here. And keep everything else out of that box. And as long as he doesn't pop out of that box and touch these things, we're good. And that we get to decide what those things are that we'll give, what those things are that we'll hold on to, that ultimately we're in control. And listen, what you need to know and what you need to see in this passage is that Jesus makes it clear. You decide and you get you. I decide and you get me. You're in control, you'll get you. But if I'm in control, you're going to get all of me. That we need to get to a place where we trade what we know for what we know is better. And so I would imagine as you guys think about that, there's some pushback that wells up within you. If you really consider it, there's some pushback. There's some fear. Yeah, but if I give my relationships to God, won't I miss out on some joy and some pleasure? If I give my sexuality to God, won't I miss out on some things? If I give my career and my money to God, won't I miss out on some joy, some pleasure, some meaning? What will happen to those things? If I just decide today to say yes to God in every arena of my life, maybe I'll end up in Africa in a tent. I mean, who knows what will happen, right? And for some of you, there's some fear associated with full-on surrender to Jesus. If that's you, I think this may be helpful. A few weeks ago, we were uh, in our community group, and uh, we were talking about marriage, just real briefly, and how there's surrender and sacrifice associated with marriage. And so we had some single people in the group. We had some married people in the group. The single people got a little freaked out <laughs> that are going towards marriage, so we kind of toned it down a little bit. But the reality is, as you look at marriage, some of you are married, some of you are pursuing marriage. That's a good thing to pursue. But the reality is, there's surrender and sacrifice associated with marriage. That financially, emotionally, socially, that when you get married, everything is laid before the other person. The single you, good riddance. The single you dies. It's a funeral 
and a wedding on the same day. <laughs> the two become one, right? That's what we believe about marriage. There's surrender and there's sacrifice. And it's not just a one-time thing on your wedding day. It's a daily thing for the rest of your life. You take it up and you follow that other person. You follow one another. The two become one. And so, guys, as you're thinking about marriage, one day you're going to be that guy. That guy when your buddies are like, hey, let's go here. Let's go hang out here. And you're like, oh, yeah, for sure, I'm in. And they're like, well, don't you need to ask your wife? Nope. I control, I control me, and if I want to go there, I'll go there. And then a few seconds later, off to the side, you're like, baby, um, here's the deal. The guys, they want to go uh, to this place. Oh. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, I'll be right home. Oh, no, I love you too. Um, and then you tell the guys, hey, guys, go ahead and go on without me. Yeah, I just remembered I need to lift some weights. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's what it is. And, you know, it's tough. But you guys have fun, right? <laughs> that one day you're going to be that guy. That as you go into marriage, there are going to be times where you buy things that you wonder, why did we just buy that? Like, how many throw pillows does one person need? You think I have a pillow? Why don't we need five of them? You're going to learn new phrases, like semi-annual sale, like rom-com. And those phrases are just going to be normative to you, and you never said them before. There's surrender and sacrifice associated with marriage. There's going to be days where you come home after work, and you're going to think, I'm going to chill out, watch TV, eat some chips. No. You're going to sit down on the couch with your spouse, and you're going to talk about your day. And good isn't going to cut it anymore. You got to talk about details, 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 and you got to listen to her details, and you got to listen with your whole face. And then you have to respond with something intellectually helpful, like you've been listening. That marriage is sacrifice and surrender until the day you die. This is marriage. So, for those of you who still want to get married, why do you do that? Why do you want to get married? Why do we go through all of that? Because she is better, right? So whatever you have to sacrifice pales in comparison to her. That whatever job you have, whatever place you live in, that one-bedroom studio apartment, it's worth it because you're together, because you do it together, and that is better. Do you see that? So as we think about following Jesus, will it be costly? Oh, yeah, way more than in marriage. It's going to cost you financially, emotionally, socially, but the benefits greatly outweigh the cost, that they, the sacrifice pales in comparison to what you get in return, that you get to be with Jesus and that he is better. He's better. So you get a Jesus who went to the cross knowing those fears you would hold on to, even those this morning that you're thinking about, 
that you get a Jesus who went to the cross knowing the sins you would commit against him. That you went, you get a Jesus who went to the cross, who knew there would be times where you would reject him or at the very least be indifferent to him. That you get that Jesus who went to the cross knowing all of that and gave his life for yours, who died for you, who rose for you, that you get that Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That the sacrifices and the surrender and the costly things in your life, they pale in comparison to that Jesus. That you're fully known, yet fully loved. That he says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And get this, he doesn't just put up with you. He empowers you to participate in his mission This grand story of redemption where he reconciles all people and all things to himself, where he pursues people. You get to be a part of that with him. That this is Jesus. This is who you get, that he is better. And so I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you're holding on to. I don't know what the fears you are you're holding on to of like, maybe if I give this to Jesus, he'll crush me with that. Maybe if I give this to Jesus, it will enslave me. You need to see as we look at the Jesus in the Bible, the one true God, that he doesn't enslave you, he sets you free. That he doesn't rob you of joy, he shows you what real joy is actually like. That he is better. So this morning, you need to decide, who is Jesus? Is he a hobby that I dabble in and out of? Is he a tool for my own platform? Jesus is a terrible hobby and a terrible tool for your own platform, just so you know. He is God. He is worthy of your whole life and your whole devotion. You need to decide today, whether you're new to church or you've been doing this thing for a long time, you need to decide, do I believe that Jesus is the Christ? And that once you make that decision, you decide, what am I going to do about that? How am I going to follow him? What needs to change in my life? How do I need to trade what I know for what I know is better? What are those things in your life? What do you need to let go of so you can more fully follow Jesus? Do that this morning as we respond. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this this text. I thank you for Jesus that you call us to a radical obedience. You call us to something radical. You say, I'm the Christ. I'm going to suffer. Come join me. And it's going to cost you. And so God, I pray for these men and women that I look across the room that come here today with fears, with doubts about, is God good? Can I trust him with my life? That are holding on to sin, that they don't want to give up, that they think is bringing them pleasure. God, I pray that this morning as they look at you and see who you are and see you're better and more beautiful than any of those things, that they would respond. And they would respond in full surrender, that we would collectively as a church respond in full surrender. What would happen if a church in downtown Phoenix just said, we surrender to you, Jesus? that it's going to cost us some things, we're going to have to give up some things, but they pale in comparison to you. What would happen if a church did that? God, I pray that it, it would start with us individually this morning, that we would respond, 
that we would give up those things and we would follow you. Father, we need your help to do that. So it's in the name of Jesus we pray for that. Amen.